Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. Digital Workspace Works podcast. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Thank you so much uh, for having me here, Ryan. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Savani Bose, uh, Managing Director of EI Square Limited. I have 20 years experience in digital transformation, uh, more recently with Virgin Media uh, in their multi-million pound mobile transformation program, uh, looking after their uh, data reporting and controls work stream. So helping all business intelligence uh, reports and tools for every customer facing departments. Data analytics, digital transformation is my area of expertise. Uh, at EI Square, uh, we assist organizations to become more mature in their data driven journey. So we help them to bring data at the center of their decision making process. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, just for, for the benefit of everyone else, what do you think the digital workspace means to you? Um, I think uh, first and foremost, uh, digital workspace is more about uh, an organization's or team's culture. Um, how do they adapt or take on board the evolving technologies uh, that are in place? How do they make most use of the technology that they are currently using? And be open-minded to utilizing the technologies. Uh, so, you know, and, and also from this connected workplace, con- digitally connected workplace, how do we make the best uh, use of the technology. So that's digital workspace is, is having that open mind, being re- receptive and not being frustrated uh, in getting yourself to a position where you may find yourself to be more challenged. Uh, so that's what digital workspace mean for me. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that, that's friction. Um, yes. Getting able to work, that, that's a key thing to, to be real of. I never, well, I mean, obviously we haven't talked about this in detail, but you mentioned the, the customer facing tools. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you talking about things like CRM and, and call center tools or, or other stuff as well? Um, every department has their own set of tools. So to have a, a data is centric to those tools. Uh, so a sales department uh, might look into their, uh, you know, the customer uh, CRM, uh, for example. Uh, the marketing will look into their campaigns uh, and see how the return on investment on the campaigns are looking or which campaigns are more successful. So every department has tools that they use to, you know, to benefit their uh, functional uh, space to uh, be more effective, and that's what I mean by customer-facing uh, uh, tools. They they could have their own choice of the tools, but whatever tools they are using, making data as the centric in terms of driving the efficiency of the department is quite important. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking about the complexity of that. If you've got multiple tools that that store data specifically in specific ways. You know, first name is not necessarily first name. It could be, you know, name. Um, how did you, I mean, how would you approach that with a customer? What, what, what would be the, the sort of starting point? 
So the first thing we do is uh, a data strategy piece. So say, for example, depends on which uh, department commissions the project. Uh, data strategy piece looks into what exactly uh, they would like to get out uh, of the project. Uh, so, for example, uh, let's take an example of the CRM and the customers and the misalignment of uh, the fields. Um, so the customer data might not necessarily be only in their uh, CRM uh, database. Some might come through a third party data or some the marketing team might be looking at uh, a potential customer's data and that may be interest in another department cost functional team so the data strategy would be to bring all these different uh, data points from different uh, uh, softwares uh, different third party together keeping quite in focus of the uh, of the end goal the customer uh, commissioned the project for. So in this instance, we are talking about, uh, you know, a customer's data, the, the misalignment. Uh, you go through that strategy piece of bringing all the customer data across from different departments into a single place and then look into the data management function of it, you know, accessibility, reliability of information, timeliness of information to the different departments, and then implementing that function to make sure that your customer name, your standardization is in place. So in it, all the people within the organization receives the exact uh, detail of the data and understands that data point correctly. So standardization of a particular surname being in that field and has to be like that. So yeah. the governance, the tools that go with it. So having that uh, standardization process through it as a part of the implementation of that strategy piece. Yeah, I mean, I've been through a few of those in, in previous roles and it's not, a, it's not a trivial thing to do, specifically when you get into master data management and, and figuring out, you know, if your golden source is going to be golden, you know, what feeds that and, and making sure that you've got, um, uh, what's the word, integrity um, of that data. Absolutely. And we talk a lot about, you know, the single version of the truth uh, in uh, having that single version of the truth. I mean, you could have multiple, the, the one uh, set of data showing different um, versions depending on your audience, but the uh, base foundation should be a single version. So like I was talking about, the marketing might need um, the uh, success of a campaign to be one metric, but the, you know, the CMO might want to see the ROI on that campaign. So it is, it's what you show um, to the target audience based on the foundational data being the single version of truth. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. And I think, you know, if I think about some of the stuff I've done previously, your, your challenge is it's not so much that each division has their own tools, is that the humans tend to work outside of those tools. Yes. Because the tools tend to be too restrictive because the tools don't develop or, or um, aren't, aren't as flexible as the, as the workplace is. So a process can't change quick in the tool quick enough. So the, the human works out a way to, to cheat the process to get the job done. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And we have seen time and time again. That's why uh, culture is very important um, as an handhelding clients. You know, there is always that reluctance to uh, going back to digital work. There's always that reluctance to try and go out of one's comfort zone. Um, yeah. So the culture making the customers believe uh, and empowering them with the tools in not a geeky way, but in a very business uh, sort of way, in making them understand the data the way they understanding, hand holding them to the point that they feel comfortable that this is, these tools are helping them to be more efficient rather than is a hindrance. And I mean, data strategy, digital transformation fails because of, uh, because we don't look into the culture element uh, a quick enough or do not put focus enough on that. Yeah, and I think that comes down to having good executive sponsorship as well. Mm-hmm. You need the, the top-down buy-in and, and support to to break down some of the bureaucracy of a of an organization. Yes, uh, yes. Which which is fine if you're in a smaller business necessarily where it's a little flatter, but when you get into these corporates that have, you know, many towers and, and the tower, the, the data is flowing across towers. Yes. We're trying to get the data to flow across for, um, towers. Um, and, and that's that's one of the, um, sorry to interrupt, Ryan, and that's one of the job for the CDOs to be more uh, strategically pay, placed uh, in terms of adding that value of uh, the information to be a value of the corporates. You know, it's it should be centrally placed as an information is an asset uh, to the corporate strategy. And it's not just an IT function. Yeah, and I think you mentioned the title CDO, and you don't see many CDOs. Um, no, you don't. Uh, that that is again because it is still information is not considered a uh, 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 an asset in a in the corporate strategical world. It's mm-hmm. it is. Um, I read an article where Gartner says there's only fifty percent you will see within the corporate strategy that information is mentioned as an. Uh, asset, uh, whereas they expect by 2022, you know, 90% will start speaking of it and putting that in the uh, in their corporate strategy. There is not enough CDOs, absolutely. And it, it, by that same article, 30% will only talk or bring the information uh, into their corporate strategy by 2022. And the CDOs will be central uh, when uh, it comes to getting the data uh, to bind with the corporate strategy. Do you, do you think that's because the, the, the sort of legacy of, of building solutions in the environment has made it so complicated to bring the data together? There's almost a fear factor of doing it, or do you think it's, it's something else? I, I have a feeling because um, I think it, the business and IT were very separate. The, yeah. If you want to bring data to be aligned with the corporate strategy, I don't think it can be told as this is an IT function. It mm. is a collaborative function to reach to that end goal. You definite. I would say you need more of business input than IT input to reach that end goal. And because of that uh, hard wall present between business and IT, that is where uh, I think it has failed to bring the data central. Yeah, I mean, I, as I say, previous roles, I've seen that exactly. It's, it's almost an over-the-fence exercise sometimes where the business wants to do something, IT needs to just do it. 
uh, or the business gets tired of waiting for IT to do it because IT has too many priorities. Mm-hmm. They go do it themselves. Um, and then they can't work out why they can't get it to work with any other systems inside because, you know, it becomes a religious war as opposed to a, a collaborative exercise. Absolutely. Uh, and and the one tells the other. But uh, as I see it, it is not either the businesses or the ITs. It is a collaborative team. Yeah. Uh, any successful data projects cannot be delivered to the requirements of the business without uh, a proper input from the business. Yeah, so, I mean, if you if you were to look at the landscape now, sort of 2020, and you mentioned 2022, I mean, what, what do you think with, you know, COVID in mind and, and all that next, next year will look like for many companies in, in the digital realm? I think uh, the traditional way of marketing has been put on hold to some extent. Yeah. Uh, people will uh, try and get more out of the data that they currently collect. People will focus a bit more on their less engaged customers. People who have been accumulating or running businesses with data for a long time will try and focus a lot on the data front. Uh, And pandemic has just accelerated that. Pandemic has just brought uh, to the forefront um, uh, process efficiency, digitally being more connected, um, remote working, enabling remote working. So imagine not only just utilizing the tools that are there as a result of, uh, you know, virtual working. Uh, After you have established an infrastructure of virtually working uh, in a clever way, in a smarter way, people will then start to think, how can we best utilize it more? How can we uh, drive it better? And I think that's what that's what's going to happen. Um, talk of uh, office spaces, talk of um, your uh, VoIP systems. People mm. will start to dig more into their first party data. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, you, you mentioned um, VoIP and, and, and that. I mean, the, the thing that I was thinking about the other day is that once upon a time, unified comms was meant to be a one one number connect you to any device. Uh-huh. Almost, that's almost now happened where, very, very, and it's not just one one app, but there's multiple apps that someone can communicate with you on um, and you can handle your business on. In fact, in some cases, it's, it's easier and quicker to handle your request via WhatsApp uh-huh. business or, you know, a, a chat bot of some sort that, that can answer the first easy couple of questions and then go into um, you talk to a human when, when that can't answer it. And, and that sort of feeds into your data being used to make decisions because based on those interactions through a very controlled channel, mm-hmm. you, you get the data with, with data on being measured through that process. You can channel uh, investment to, to improve that customer experience. Absolutely. So, so that has almost happened, but I don't see enough of people then utilizing the accumulation of data to increase the customer experience or to reach out to less engaged people. Um, the corporate side are using it, the bigger corporates, the SME world, not so much. Mm. But I think it comes down to, to resources. You need, you need people to look at that kind of stuff. You need, you need your data scientists. You need, well, not even data scientists, per se, just someone looking at the data. Um, Absolutely. Uh, uh, looking at the data and extracting value from that data. Yeah. Is, it, is, that, where you, is that where you guys come in? Yes. Yes, absolutely. We, 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 um, so there are a couple of things we come in from. First of all, strategy point where 
people have not necessarily placed the data, all the data that they collect in a unified platform uh, for scalability purposes as well. That is the first point. And the second point is at analyzing that data and extracting value from that data. And what, what's a typical project look like in the sense of timeframes and in, I mean, you don't necessarily mean investment figures, but you know, you know what, what is your sort of common or your sweet spot, let's say? Uh, our sweet spots are first uh, going through and building the strategy and then implementing it. Um, anywhere from uh, six months to nine months, uh, our projects last, uh, a data strategy and implementation project. Okay. And are you making quite a lot of use of the cloud to, to deliver? We are. We are. We are. We are mostly cloud. Okay. Has, has that changed now? Um, as, as the cloud has become more and more prevalent, with is, is the technology making the implementations easier? I would not say um, easier because you have challenges uh, everywhere. Technologically, even on cloud, you have challenges. I think from a client's perspective, it definitely has given them the flexibility where they do not need to uh, cater or think about the infrastructure support or uh, a, a, um, a support being maintained constantly. Uh, mm -hmm. They just need to uh, pay for the scalability purpose. Uh, and so that has definitely become easier. There are challenges irrespective of whether you go cloud or on-premise. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I, I think the main challenges we definitely face uh, in terms of uh, our projects is uh, getting hold of the data that they use in a timely fashion. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking because the technology in the cloud environment has has improved a lot. Mm. In fact, you've got a different problem. I think there's too much choice. Um, <laughs> too many options that are so similar that you have to, you know, almost you feel like you're going to make a mistake because you don't know exactly which one to use. But then once you've made that decision, it's about getting the data um, and, you know, having worked with some systems that didn't that, that didn't come with APIs, for example, mm. you're going to figure out getting the data out of that using, you know, various techniques and mechanisms. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so we, we talked to, I mean, so we talk about the data and making decisions. I mean, are, are you providing... Uh, I mean, are, are there mechanisms or ways to to show people ways to make decisions with data, or are you looking at some sort of um, operational intelligence that say using rules to automatically make decisions? Not automatically make decisions. Um, uh, we bring the data to help them make those decisions. To uh, analyze the data from the strategic point put those metrics in front to help them make decisions, not automatically. So um, uh, we haven't uh, gone towards the AI implementation of use cases, uh, but for example, uh, the churns, the customer churn uh, per channels, that helps them uh, refocus their energy on the certain channels where the churn rate is more. Uh, it is assisting businesses to refocus their energy uh, where it will drive most revenue or cut costs. And, and, and in that, I mean, the, the churn model, I would almost think, is, is one of those models that could be um, be sold as, as an asset, an algorithm that you out on a marketplace. Is, is, there, is it something that, that you're seeing in the, in, the, in the marketplace now that people are selling the algorithms, or is it still very much everyone builds their own? 
Everyone builds their own. The, what I am saying is everyone builds their own. There are bigger corporates who are um, already, uh, you know, putting use case, AI use case on the churn models. Um, I I don't think I have come across where somebody's selling a churn model. Yeah, it's interesting. So you'd almost think that would be the natural, you know, one of these big providers would say, here, here use our recommendation service or use our churn model service and just pump your data. Because for the SME, they don't have the, the capacity to go build their own churn model. Um, and they're looking for something to put on their credit card. And, and uh, yes, I, it, it, it may be down the line. You never know. Uh, it may be in a few years' time with all AI and machine learning and a lot of uh, businesses using uh, a lot of AI clever tools there. Uh, I will not be surprised if we see a, a, a churn model come up, which could be customizable depending on the sector, depending on particular uh, uh, industry, particular team. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, Let's maybe change tack a little bit. So, so you've been, I mean, are you guys office bound or you work from home or what is the, what, how's your business affected? Right. We were office bound until uh, March. Um, very flexible uh, ways of working. Uh, we don't have any rules in terms of you need to be in the office seven, five days a week, uh, nine to six. We don't have such rules at all. Uh, I like the consultants to be present two to three days a week in the office, but from April we are uh, homebound and we will be so till at least uh, quarter one of next year. Uh, we have a very uh, flexible virtual open door policy. Uh, we meet regularly, we talk regularly. Uh, so one of the things as a manager I had to uh, go through uh, during the initial lockdown period was to not able to understand the body language when I'm talking to our team of consultants, what's bothering them. Uh, the normal office coffee uh, machine talk and the informal chats um, gave a lot of things behind the person, behind what's going on uh, outside of the work. And that was a journey I had to navigate uh, during the initial days. We are, the decision not to go back to office uh, till March is because we navigated that quite well. Uh, our virtual open door policy is really uh, working very well. So, um, we are all cloud-based, so I don't think we will uh, go back till March for sure. Um, and we have not, we have not been impacted by not having an office. Sorry, she wanted to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I mean that's a common trend that I'm seeing amongst most most businesses is that that the the need to have an office is is almost redundant. Um, and, and, and you're going to book co-working space or you're going to book a, a meeting room for the day once a week and everyone will come meet in that place and use it for a purpose as opposed to... I wouldn't, yeah, sorry. I wouldn't um, say it's redundant uh, because I think, like I said, the uh, buzz of the place, uh, talking to people, uh, that 
has will not go away. Uh, I would I would not go as far to say it is redundant. Uh, but uh, like I said, during the pandemic, it hasn't impacted working uh, uh, remotely uh, or working flexibly. I think going forward, you would definitely see a lot of the SME businesses take up co-working space, uh, like you said. Uh, and also, it depends on business to business. Some businesses, uh, you know, when you're onboarding uh, employees, uh, your culture, your ethics, the morals, everything else, and how do you make them feel part of the team? All of that together, I think, um, will decide whether one needs to have a permanent office or not. I'm loving her. It's okay, my girl. I think she's a bit too hot on me. <laughs> she's lovely. Yeah, I think you're right. When I say it's redundant, I think I think there are businesses that that can operate pretty much without one, provided they've got some way to to meet. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, look at us now. Uh, we we are operating very well without having an office. Um, so, uh, and there will be businesses going forward who wouldn't need an office at all. Um, Please, please don't worry at all. Uh, but I think it is. Uh, I think it really is a personal case by case uh, that that will take effect uh, whenever we come to a, a, a normality, whatever that may look like. And it it won't be a generic as to uh, one end or the other. Uh, as to you be completely virtual or uh, you know completely office based. Definitely, it will. It will. T trend more towards co-working uh, and virtual and flexible. Right. Uh, sorry about that. We are. No, no, no. Don't be at all. Well, I said sorry in the sense that uh, she's she's now been fed, so it's all good. Oh, good. <laughs> you were doing so well. Yeah, she's actually been quite good most of the day. It's just uh, you know, we get to this sort of time of the day, she starts getting a bit uh, antsy. I think it's normal. Yes. It, is she is she sleeping through the night? Um, we're getting about five hours now. Wow, that's good. Yeah, not bad for six weeks. I mean, my son was nothing like that. He he was about fifteen months. Was was like every three hours he was awake. So, right. so this is quite good. I had a different. My my son was okay. He's the eldest one. But my daughter, oh my god, <laughs> I didn't sleep till two three years. I didn't sleep. So five hours, blimey, that's a blessing. Yeah, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, she goes to bed about 10 and then wakes up about, well, say 10, 10.30 and then gets up about 3.34, mm. which is actually quite nice because then I get up and I go to work and I do my stuff. And, you know, because I've got another son, as, uh, another well, toddler, um, mm. and, and obviously working from home, once once he's up and about, and he's, if he's not in nursery, he needs to be looked after. So between my wife and I, it's, it's a lot of double teaming. Yes, yeah. Uh, so... And, and like we were talking about um, work environments and working, and this is one of the things that has, um, you know, it's a shame that pandemic has to bring this on, but uh, getting an, getting closer to your colleagues' personal uh, life and having that personal touch uh, is quite 
uh, quite nice. Do you see in Zoom calls, you know, uh, people, the kids come and sit or the cat is coming over uh, yeah. and it's nice, you know, they, they, at the end of the day, it's they, everybody's a human being. You sometimes when you are on that uh, mill machine and working, it's it's sometimes difficult to realize when all the time you're thinking about projects, deliveries, stakeholders, meetings and everything else. Sometimes it's easy to forget we are all human beings trying to um, get get on with our lives as well. Yeah, we, 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 do, we do become a bit robotic and it's almost the minute huh. you, when you get, you get to the office, you know, you're in this, this go, 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 just do it mentality. Um, whereas now you've got to be integrated. You've got to, you know, do a call and make lunch and, you know, whatever else you want to do with the, with the family uh, huh. while still being results. In fact, there's almost more results orientated as opposed to um, putting the hours in. Yes. I don't know why, uh, you know, organizations or business don't think of being more results oriented, to be honest. They should. Um, everything should be. I know, uh, you know, sales team gets commission based on the sales. I think everybody should have results oriented approach. And um, yeah. Yeah, I think a big factor of that is, is obviously you mentioned before is culture, but it's also trust. Um, oh. And, and, and understanding that, that some people will work differently and they'll work at night and not during the day and, yeah. and vice versa. Um, yes, and it is both ways, isn't it? The trust should be both ways. Um, we, uh, I am really proud of the way we work. It's a small team, but I'm really proud because nobody, mac, micro, nobody has to be micromanaged. You give responsibility to the people of their work and they own that piece of work to be delivered. So... Yeah. And trust builds that way. You've got to trust the person. I'm not saying you wouldn't come across that odd occasion where uh, it just doesn't line up, but that is that is how the person is. There's, as, there's no nothing personal in it. It's just the personality and how you work. No, definitely. No, look, you, and I think, the, the, as you say, we've, we've become a, a bit more insightful about colleagues and how they work and, and mm. their Lives and, and, and we were talking about how the, the office is potentially redundant. Um, for a lot of people that don't have the space, it's not redundant. They need to have an office to go to or a co-working space or whatever it is to, to go, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the mental health that comes with it, you know, uh, you are, if you think about the office working, gosh, that feels like ages ago, right? It's yeah. only been about four, nine, eight, nine months. But if you think about that, you just, you know, you're doing a piece of work, you turn around and you just hear a very interesting conversation going on. Uh, and those, you miss that. And that, that creates a, uh, a dialogue or conversation that can, uh, you know, keep you refreshed. And that's little breaks from your regular work makes mm. a lot of difference. Yeah, buffers. You need you need to have buffers. Um, and that's, I think, what a lot of people have struggled with. I definitely have struggled with it with, without having as much as you, you don't like the commute. And I think the word hate is probably the, a bit more descriptive. Um, but it is an important part of your day in the sense that you've got time to yourself, you've got time to, to think, you've got time to read, you've got all that. Whereas yeah. at home, um, you're blending home activities with work activities. You don't have those buffers. And then also you have people, well, you know, your calendar gets filled up with meetings because that's how people interact. Mm -hmm. We spend the whole day talking to people on the phone because 
you know, your, your diary is full. Absolutely. And and that line, you know, you get up in the morning and you go to that office, that time you take to travel is your time, is your personal time. Coming back again, that time is your personal time. And that, and that gave a very nice uh, break between your personal and your work life. Uh, that got blurred as well. Uh, in in this pandemic, and not everybody is quite strict in stopping work. Uh, people are working long hours, um, and that will have different effects mentally as well as physically. Yeah, I mean, I've heard I've heard various tips and tricks, and I don't know what yours are, but things like if you if you in order to break up the the Monday the Monday to Friday versus the weekend, you got to watch different TV. So you watch movies on weekends, and you watch series during the week, and. <laughs> Uh, also having different, you, you, diff, you set out different clothes for the weekend, just so you, you know that now it's the weekend, even though you're pretty much wearing some of the stuff. Um, I, don't, I don't know what you do to. Well, I, I, what, what, you know, I, well, the clothes thing has always been there, so there's no change. Uh, you know, I'm quite, I'm quite strict in actually getting up and even though it's, it's just one room to the study or to another room for the office space. I'm quite strict in the dressing up sense. Um, but I think um, I still forget the day during the weekdays, um, especially with the half term. When the school started, uh, before it was difficult because the, every, the kids were uh, homeschooled. Uh, so you wouldn't know from, you know, Monday to, and then it got better from September and now the kids are on half term. I was thinking today whether it is Wednesday or Tuesday. So <laughs> I think a day of the week, um, I sometimes have to keep revisiting the calendar to see, yes, it is Wednesday. Yesterday, I was actually, geez, this is actually only Tuesday because I, I thought it was definitely Thursday. Uh, <laughs> it happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. Um, I'm pretty much done from, I think we have some great content. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I wanted to uh, talk about uh, maybe what do you think in terms of the SME sector and how do they see the data being a value addition to their strategy piece? And what do you see when you talk to other organizations? So, yeah, that's actually a good question. Uh, both. So, so typically when I talk to an SME, unless their business is built around data, they don't typically value it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost, you know, the, the, the perpetual problem of they need to make, they need to make revenue. So they focus on making revenue and, and they do it the, the hard way. And this is probably very unfair, but, but then, you know, when the opportunity is to take a step back and look at what they've got and, and, and fix certain processes and, and internal operational things to uh-huh. make easy. I'll give you an example. You've got a, a software as a service product that's been built. Um, it has a user management component to it, but they've got a separate CRM and they've got a separate billing system and none of those systems talk to each other. Uh-huh. And things like managing the contracts, managing the support of the customer, managing the uh, account management of those customers, all those things are, are handled in different silos. And it makes it that much more harder, more difficult to do it. And, and and the argument will always be, well, it's fine because all I have to do is work on my Excel spreadsheet and, and I can get away with it. But that, but there's no sort of thought to go, well, if you have an Excel spreadsheet and you have to do a recon and yes. figure out where you were. And, you know, that five minutes, that 10 minutes adds up 
to the point that maybe your investment in doing the the right thing but uh-huh. it's, is is cheap in comparison to how much you're wasting and, and that problem perpetuates it's fine maybe when you've got one salesperson but when you've got five salespeople and and five sales five salespeople that are in different countries yeah are dealing with different things and there's no there's no uniformity which is what those tools will do they'll force uniformity which is also a bad thing in some sense but but you get what i'm saying in the sense that by by breaking down the core process of your business and you, there's only three to five per, per business. If you get those things right and, yep. and efficient, it makes other things easier and you get time back. Exactly. And this, this I think, needs to happen quite at the start of the process. So a yep. thought in the business plan already should be about uh, how do they accumulate, store data and use data going forward. That should already be in their business plan in of any SME startups um, going forward. This is one of the reasons why uh, I am so passionately driving EI Square, mainly driving awareness to the SME sector, because having worked in the corporate world for the last 20 odd years, they are very good in understanding what data can bring. They invest heavily. They are messier, much more messier because of the uh, amount of different systems they have. Uh, but they do understand the value. And this is one of the things um, I do like to talk about is the awareness of what data can do uh, to yeah. the SME sector. No, yeah, you have to right. I think, I think it is something that if you look at what the pandemic has forced, not only has it forced everyone to use technology and to, be, and to catch up to what technology people were doing anyway, typically, mm. um, but it has also forced people and companies um, in, in probably a negative way to to let people go, and those people had to start their own businesses. So there's a lot more micro entities becoming mm. SMEs, um, and and that point is is getting if they understand that as part of their foundations makes it easier to operate because I think all the tools are there. I don't think. No, absolutely. The tools are there, uh, and and even businesses. Uh, m- who go through that uh, digital transformation, right? They want to reduce their usage of uh, spreadsheets. They want to reduce and effectively more, gain more insight from the data that they have been collecting. they need to, as they're going through the transformation program, they need to seriously think about the data strategy that will, that will play a role going forward. And and this is uh, this is something uh, we highly encourage any discussions we have with our clients about getting the strategy piece right. No, you're hundred percent right. Um, where can people get hold of you? Social media or um, yes, uh, so LinkedIn. Um, you can get hold of me on LinkedIn, uh, Sabani Bose or EI Square. If yeah. you go to eisquare.co.uk, you can get hold of us as well. Fantastic. It's been great having you on the, on the podcast. Thanks for, for Thank sharing. you so much. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.